Welcome to Uncontained, episode 48. I'm your host, Aaron Static Render, and today marks the first for Uncontained. We actually have a doctor on the show. Yes, Dr. Blake Brandis. He is a doctor in hip-hop and global youth cultures. He has an actual master's and PhD uh, from the University of Kent in England. He has launched a music production and artist management company where he produced top 40 radio songs and toured across Europe. He's the co-founder of personal development company Motivational Millennial and co-host of the Motivational Millennial podcast. You may have seen him on America's Got Talent and also, he has his very own TEDx talk in his hometown of Hickory, North Carolina. He's a motivational speaker who talks at events and schools across the nation. He has a new CD coming out called Remix Your Reality, and now he's on Uncontained. Make sure your earbuds are securely fastened and listen all the way through to the end because at the end we get a freestyle, an uncontained freestyle from Dr. Blake Brandis. Blake, how are you doing today? And welcome to Uncontained. I'm great, Aaron. Thanks so much for having me on, man. Looking forward to it. Yeah, man, this is this is great. A real doctor in hip hop. Like you actually <laughs> went out and got a PhD in hip hop, correct? I did. That's right. University of Kent in England. Uh, did a PhD on hip hop and global youth cultures, um, and it was surprising to everyone who saw a nerdy, skinny white kid from Hickory, North Carolina, um, walk in and say, "Oh, I'm studying hip hop," but uh, made it happen and uh, knocked out a PhD. <laughs> and it, what's surprising to me is in England they have a hip hop like doctorate program or a PhD program in hip hop in England. I don't necessarily think of England as hip hop. Yeah, well, England has a great hip-hop scene, but, but yeah, I definitely had to do some adaptation within the English department to get the PhD to actually uh, be on hip-hop and global youth cultures. But the cool part was my PhD supervisor um, said I was really struggling along the way um, to finish it, and she was like, why don't you have a research part of this that's actually practicing hip-hop and i said well what do you mean and she said why don't you submit a hip-hop album as part of your dissertation and so i actually wrote and produced and performed uh, the album scholar which was taking all the ideas you know really like high theory concept ideas from the phd and making them really accessible and over some fire beats I can say that. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> and so um, the dissertation committee, when they were reviewing my PhD, they said, this is the first time we've ever had the pleasure of saying that a dissertation has danceability as one of its qualities. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Was your whole dissertation ACD or was there paperwork to go along with it? Oh, yeah. There was a, a very substantial um, theory-based written PhD, uh, and then the album was sort of the companion album to that. So I looked a lot in the PhD. I mean, the basic summary was how young people around the world use hip hop to form their identities and then form communities. And they've been doing that 
in places especially where they don't feel like they have a strong sense of acceptance from the host culture. So, for example, if they are second-generation immigrants in France um, and their parents came from North Africa, they don't necessarily feel North African, you know, from Tunisia or Morocco or uh, wherever they came from, Senegal. But on the flip side, they don't really feel French either because French society is like you are Arab, like you're not French or yeah. you're Muslim. You're not French. Um, so I really explored that tension, which we've seen break out in like major riots uh, over the past couple decades. So um, how did you get into hip hop? How did you how did you decide to pursue that uh, as a career, as uh, get a doctorate in hip hop? Or could you take us back to the start of uh, Blake Brandis's uh, hip hop days? Yeah, totally. So. I started really actively listening to hip hop early in high school. I'd been a big alternative rock fan all through middle school. And, you know, people said Wu-Tang Clan. I thought that was like a wrestling group. I didn't know <laughs> anything about hip hop. And then uh, I picked up a DMX album and I was just like, whoa, this is amazing. Like the beats are just fun like phenomenal the storytelling the wordplay and dmx is just you know just the growling delivery it's barking so, at you exactly <laughs> you know it's like, like it's just so inspiring and in a kind of dark like wow this is really real way and so i started out listening to gangster rap i mean you know and you can that title means different <laughs> things to different people, but like, you know, Method Man, Red Man, um, and then gradually I got into sort of the more socially conscious work with The Roots, Common to Live Quilly, and political stuff like a moral technique. And from there, I started DJing because I was listening to all this, you know, hip hop that young people, even in Hickory, North Carolina, which is where I grew up. It's a pretty rural town in Western North Carolina. Uh, but kids were really getting into hip hop. And so I started DJing, uh, breakdancing. And then one day in high school, there was a group of uh, guys in for the circle in the cafeteria. And there was this big commotion. And I went over, I was like, what's going on? And they'd formed a cypher, which is where like one person's beatboxing, you know, <laughs> And then each person in the cypher takes turns rapping. And I was like, this is so cool. So I went home. I started practicing my beatboxing. Okay. I'd be listening, you know, to um, Rozelle, Dougie Fresh and people like that and just getting good. And so then I started jumping in the cyphers. Um, I started trying to freestyle rap. And I was terrible at first, man. I was just, you know, I, all my rhymes sounded so clunky, but it was really fun. And so I formed a rap group called Agents of the Swarm. And that was after the video game Starcraft computer game. Uh, there's a little alien that goes, Agent of the Swarm. Okay, so, all the hardest rap groups are formed after video games. Oh, totally. Well, and you know, <laughs> Agent of the Swarm was a step up from our first rap group name, which was Amethyst, because nothing says hardcore hip hop like a purple gemstone um yes. so so i went by dj decryption uh, and people still sometimes call me decrypt because of that but we you know it's just a group of my friends and none of us could sing and so we decided to rap and we just grew the group from three people to about 16 it really turned into uh, they used to call us the white people's wu-tang clan okay. uh, it's just like 16 white kids and you know we had fiddle players and harmonica players and singers and dancers and rappers and it was really fun and so when i graduated from high school uh 
you know, everyone else quit. They were like, okay, that was a fun phase. And I was like, I'll just keep going. So I went solo, quote unquote, (laughs) and I just taught myself how to produce music. Um, You know, my early attempts were holding a microphone over my keyboard speaker. Uh, I didn't even realize you could plug in the keyboard to the computer. Um, So, (laughs) you know, MIDI cables. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, I had no idea about MIDI. I was literally like, and then we would just play it back using sound recorder. If anyone uh, got any Windows 95 vets in the house, Um, we would literally just record it through sound recorder and then play it back until you can only do that like three or four times before the audio quality was so bad. It just sounded like a boxy echoey mess. Um, So we'd play as many instruments at the same time as possible. Like, so we could do as few takes as possible. Anyway, it was a learning experience on the music production side. And so in college, I just kept going and I started writing raps um, in conjunction with my essays or sometimes in place of my essays. So I'd ask the professor, you know, we've got to write this essay about Plato. Can I write a rap about Plato? And he's like, well, is it going to be good? I'm like, no, no, yeah, it's going to be like, – <laughs> I'll, I'll cite my sources and I'll quote, you know, I'll use quotes. And he was like, well, I mean, if it's good, then okay. And so I started getting A's like on these rap essays and I was like, this is the best thing ever. So from there, um, when I was finishing college, I got – a call from a couple guys who were forming a music production company called The Drumline. And they said, hey, we've got this producer out in L.A. named Dre Ramon. Um, We want you to run this music production company with him. And I was like, okay, that sounds cool. I don't know what that means, but I'm totally down. (laughs) So we were producing beats for other artists and doing songwriting for artists. And from there, I I might as well just tell you the the end of the the saga. So from there... um, I received a scholarship to do a, the master's and PhD in England. And while I was over in England, I met an artist who was just coming up on YouTube. Uh, her name's Anna Free. And this was right when YouTube was starting to get big in 2007. And um, I started producing tracks for her. And the first track we produced uh, got used in this Portuguese TV commercial. It went to number one on iTunes and number one on Portugal radio. And then it went to the European top 200 radio list. And so um, off that, we ended up touring around Europe and opening for Shakira. And it was oh, a wow. really incredible experience. And again, I had zero background in this. I was just learning as I went. So it was a real wild ride. Yeah, sounds like uh, quite the uh, quite the adventure. Um, starting out with the uh, microphone to the Casio keyboard, or I don't know if it was Casio or not. I just threw out a brand there, uh, but <laughs> it's okay, it's all good. <laughs> but uh, um, to touring the country, doing hip hop with acts like Shakira, what time span was this? Like over, like how many years did this take place? Yeah, so really doing the professional music industry work was 2007 to 2011. Um, it was that time span. And and on the performance side, I was tour managing and performing with um, Anna Free. So I was I, I was doing some beatboxing and some keyboard. Uh, I wasn't doing too much rapping at that point because it was primarily her show. Okay. Um, but I was still doing, you know, inevitably I'd be asked to freestyle at some point. So I, I could definitely drop that. <laughs> Right on. Yeah, freestyling, man. That's like, do you have a technique in your freestyle? Yes, my technique is called radical self-acceptance, and what that means is, whenever you're freestyling, self-judgment is the biggest 
thing that will stop you, that will make you freeze. And what I mean by radical self-acceptance is you have to not only accept everything that you say, but you have to make it right. Like you have to make it work. And so you can say something that doesn't make any sense. That's fine. It doesn't even need to rhyme. But just in the next line, you need to make it make sense or make it rhyme. And so I like to think of that as a life lesson. It's like you just look, there are no mistakes. Like you just take whatever happens, whatever you do, and you make it work. Like you act as if you chose that and then that will be the reality because then you will have chosen it. You know, you'll chose to have accept what happened. So that's a sort of abstract answer to your question. In okay. terms of practicality, um, it's really responsive to the moment. I think I really like to listen to people to understand who they are, what they care about, what they like, and then include those things. So one sort of extreme example of this, I – I've been doing consulting work for a number of years for a nonprofit, and the first um, major meeting I attended with them, there were all these uh, team leaders from Coca-Cola and Disney and Kellogg's and all these Fortune 100 companies around this table. And I had asked the CEO of the nonprofit beforehand, like, okay, who are these people? Like, where do they work and stuff? And so unbeknownst to me, as soon as we got into the meeting, she was like, hey, everyone, this is our new chief program officer. And they're like, okay, cool, cool, whatever. And they're like, but he actually raps. And, you know, I'm wearing a suit and tie and, uh, you know, <laughs> this like, like dirty white guy. And they're like, what? And so she's like, yeah, Blake, can you do something? And so I was like, okay. And so I went around and like I rapped about all the people at the table and they were just like, oh, my God. So that sort of became the rep from then on. <laughs> Oh, nice, nice. You know, as you were talking about uh, saying there's no wrong lines or you can't, you got to make it work. What came to my mind is like, you know, you say the line, then you make it work in the next line. Reminded me of uh, the art of painting with Bob Ross. When he's making that painting and he puts like a line on there, it's like, no, no, don't do that. And then like all of a sudden he like does a couple more things, like swipes his brush and like scrapes some paint off. And it's like, oh my, okay, yeah, that's much better now. You know, that's that. That happy little tree made the picture so much better that you thought was going to ruin it when it just started. Oh, yeah. There are no mistakes, just happy accidents. It's my favorite <laughs> Bob Ross line. <laughs> Bob Ross, man. Like, who would have guessed that, like, even after not being on air for so long, would still be somewhat iconic? Oh, totally. If I could make a recommendation, PBS did a sort of auto-tune version of Bob Ross clips. I it's amazing. That. If you yeah, if you YouTube it, uh, <laughs> it's it makes me so happy, honestly. Did it's, you know there's also like they did it for all of their shows, like for Reading Rainbow, yeah, um, Mr. Rogers, Mr. Rogers, this old house or mm -hmm. something like that is like. Like Mr. Rogers, like all you need is imagination or something like that, and yeah, yeah they 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 were very very well done. I like auto tune the news too, but that's about to the extent that I like auto tune. I don't like it in actual music unless it's for an effect, like occasionally, you know. But yeah, you only like ironic auto tune. <laughs> I, ironic auto tune. I'm I guess I'm an auto tune hipster in that sense, <laughs> but. Uh, like when you use it as a crutch, that's when I don't like it. When the whole CD's done with auto tune, but like say if you have like a line that you want to stand out and auto tune it, I'm cool with that. But when you're singing the whole song in auto tune, it's like okay, yeah, that's that's a little weak. Well, especially, and and not to go down too far this route, but especially 
off-key auto-tune singing. I mean, you know, people like Young Thug, who I'll just I'll go on a limb and say I'm not a big Young Thug fan, <laughs> but I'm just okay. a part of that is just because of the artistry, and I get that like there's some sort of democratic appeal to the fact that literally anybody can do this, regardless if you can sing any way in pitch, yes. you know. Or not. But it's just. I don't know, man. I, I don't want to be a hater of Young Thug, but it's I'm trying to understand more. Let's just say that. I'm trying to get more of the appeal. You know, I'll put it this way. You can't blame the artist or the person recording for it. I blame the listeners who are willing to accept that. You know, if they're like if I can if I can go out and like get auto-tuned and make a million dollars, it's like, okay, I'm gonna do it. But like it's up to the people listening to be like, dude, that's not that's that's not talent. Like, especially after watching like auto-tune the news when they show like the original like news story and then how they auto-tuned it, like the person's just talking and they make it in the singing, you know? Auto-tune oh, yeah. the news is awesome. I'm not knocking auto-tune the news because that's hilarious stuff. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't want to get too far on the rant of this on your show. So we'll, we'll, <laughs> well, we'll yeah. move on and talk about you. Oh, well, it's all good. And I'll, I'll just I'll leave it with, like, I don't want to be too judgy either because there are people who say the exact same thing I said about Young Thug about rap music in general, right? Like, it takes no talent. It's just, like, yelling over a beat. So, you know, I, I'm keeping an open mind. Let's just say that. And they say that about, like, metal, too. But oh, yeah. it, it takes a lot of talent to actually scream like that and without destroying your throat. And... Also, like with good metal, like a lot of the metal that you don't necessarily hear on the radio, that's very guitar heavy. And it's if you remove the distortion, like metal music is the most like classical music of like pretty much any other genre out there. It's just a distortion that makes it sound so crazy. Oh, I'm so impressed by metal and I have never been a metal fan, but... I find the more I listen to it as I'm older, there's a certain kind of refined rage that's going on <laughs> that's really appealing in a certain way. And to your point, there's certainly the music, uh, the artistry of it, the double bass is phenomenal. Just, gosh, those guys on the foot pedal, just like, brrr, it's mind-blowing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so you... Uh, let's just change gears a little bit about you performing. You performed on America's Got Talent. What was that experience like? Yeah, so that was crazy, the brief version of how that all happened. America's Got Talent found my semi-pro acapella group I was performing with in New York called The Lost Keys um, on YouTube. They found some of our videos, and so they reached out to me, and they were like, hey, can your group come and be on the show? And I checked with our group. They wanted us to come in and audition two days later and you know some of the group was sick some of them were out of town so i had to call them back and be like i'm sorry you know we're not gonna make it and then they said well we saw some of your freestyle rap videos do you want to come on the show and i was like uh okay and i didn't know anything about america's got talent by the way i didn't know you could win a million dollars if you won the <laughs> whole thing i was just like okay it sounds fun whatever i'll go and so i made it through the first few producer rounds and actually ended up backstage at Madison Square Garden, 3,000 people in the audience, the four celebrity judges. This was uh, a couple seasons back, so it was Howard Stern, the radio host, um, Heidi Klum, the supermodel, uh, Howie Mandel, the TV game show host, and Mel B, the former Spice Girl. And I had a really crazy audition for them. 
Yeah. So how like you actually talk about this during your TED talk? Uh, you want to go into the story or? Yeah, I'll I'll do I'll do a brief version of it, and if uh, anyone wants the full version, you can check out the TEDx. It's just called the Untapped Power of Millennials. But so I'm backstage. Nick Cannon, the host of America's Got Talent, comes up to me. He's like, "Hey, man, are you a magician?" And I'm like, "What?" And he points. I'm wearing like a purple suit, and I'm like, "Oh," I was like, "No, but I do pull words out of thin air." And he's like. I don't know what that means. And I said, don't worry, Nick, you're about to find out. So they call me out on stage and Howie Mandel's like, what's your name and what's your talent? And I said, my name is Blake Brandis and I rap. And Howie's looking at me in my suit. He's like, you rap? And I said, yeah, actually freestyle. So if you bring up a random audience member on stage, I'll make up a rap about them. So Howie brings up this guy and I ask him a few questions. I go, uh, what's your name? He's like, my name's James. I'm like, whoa, okay. Um, <laughs> where are you from, James? He goes, I'm from North Dakota. I was like, wow, James, um, what do you like to do for fun? He's like, I like to hunt and fish. And so I was like, all right, James, North Dakota likes to hunt and fish. I'm going to make up a rap about you. So the beat drops and I'm like, yo. And the crowd just like, they lose it. They immediately start like laughing. They're like, oh, wow, this is amazing. So I start rapping and it's actually going well. Like I'm making up, you know, hunting and fishing jokes and uh, James is cracking up and the crowd's having a great time. And I'm like almost done. I'm thinking, yes, this is going really well. And then I hear, and I see a big red X light up in the front of Howard Stern's desk. And I'm like, okay. I mean, I could either just stop rapping, like if Howard's not liking it, maybe the other judges aren't, or maybe I should just ignore it. But then I was like, yo, this is hip hop. Like, you, if someone disses you, you got to flip it. So <laughs> seconds left, I said, uh, time is running out, but you know I'm not stressing. I came to reach the people and to teach a lesson. And yo, it doesn't matter if Howard gets to Xin, I'm still going to keep rapping, no question. And the crowd went wild. And so... We go to the judges, and Howard Stern's angry. He's like, man, freestyle rap's not a talent. Like, you can't get paid to do that. There's a reason they call it freestyle, because they don't make any money on it. I vote no, you don't go through. And then uh, Heidi Klum's like, I actually liked it. I thought it was a talent. Like, I vote yes, you do go through. And I'm like, yeah, Heidi Klum thinks I'm talented. She thinks <laughs> I'm hot. Like, it's all good. Um, <laughs> and then... Um, Howie Mandel's like, I liked it too. I thought it was like comedy, theatrical. I vote yes, you do go through. And so then it all comes down to Mel B. And as I said in the uh, the TEDx, um, you know, imagine having your future in the hands of a former Spice Girl. That's exactly what this felt like. <laughs> and so Mel B says, I liked it, but I've seen better. I vote no, you don't go through. And I'm like, oh man, two yes, two no, I don't go through. But then the producers come out and the crowd's like, going crazy because the producers are like there's a golden button that each judge can only use one time during the entire season but if they use it the act gets saved and goes through to the next round so like the crowd is chanting send him through send him through and howie and howard are having this long like argument about whether they should send me through and howard's like if you like him so much howie why don't you use the golden button and send him through and the crowd's chanting send him through send him through so howard stands up and the crowd just goes wild they're chanting use the golden button send him through and howie goes i i i just can't do it i'm sorry oh so, so close it's so close. I know. I tell that story um, in my motivational assembly. And the kids, like, inevitably, when I say, like, you know, I'm sorry, I just can't do it. Inevitably, one of the kids is always like, oh, my God. <laughs> you know? 
it's, and it's true. Um, I've been like, Howie, Howie, you have to put me through. You used to inflate a rubber glove or a condom over your head and call that talent. <laughs> this this has to be talent compared to that. Come on. Oh, yeah. Well, and you know, they have like pigs who push golf balls around on there. But it's all I, it's reality <laughs> television, right? Like it's not yeah. about the most talented, whatever. So um, but it, honestly, it was a great experience. And I'm really thankful that I didn't make it further, uh, at least. You know, I know it's sort of an entertainment industry show. Part of it was because if you get further than as far as I got, you have to sign some of your rights, your creative rights away to them, um, oh, which really? makes sense. I mean, you know, they're doing a huge promotional push for you. So I get it. But um, it worked out well for me that I was like able to to tell that story, but then not actually have to sign away any of my rights. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely a bonus out of that. Like, how much of your rights do they make you sign away? I didn't know that. It makes sense, I guess. But, like, is it just for, like, whatever you create in, during the time of that show? Or is it, like, yeah, a five-year period? A, yeah, I didn't see a full contract, so I don't know all the details. But it's it's basically what you just said. Like, you know, anything you create, and then there's a certain promotional period after. Or maybe it's, like, two years or something. Um, which, again, I mean, they're giving you a huge platform. So. Yeah. I respect, you know, but it depends. It's just I also I've always made rap music because I want to make exactly the music I want to make. I don't have any commercial aspirations with it. Um, I have done a lot of commercial work in the music production field for other artists, but for my own stuff, like socially conscious hip hop, I just wanted to make the music I wanted to make. And I wanted to make it as you know dense with the wordplay and as clever and just you know make classical literature references and just stuff that no <laughs> no record exec would ever look at and be like oh yeah we totally want to promote that you know this is a viable product <laughs> exactly Every, everyone wants to hear more iliad and the uh, odyssey references in their rap music but that does go well with motivational speaking and you mentioned that uh during uh your story on uh of uh, America's Got Talent. So how did you get into doing your motivational uh, speaking? Yeah, so for 10 years, teachers and principals have been reaching out to me and be like, hey, Blake, you're into hip-hop and education. Our kids love hip-hop. They hate education. Can you come <laughs> and help connect these two? And so I just said, sure. And so really pro bono, you know, for free for 10 years, I would just come in. i do workshops. i talk to students. And then in 2012... Um, I started getting more requests where people were like, and we have a small budget where we can actually pay you to come in. I was like, <laughs> you mean you can get paid to help kids and like talk about hip hop? This is amazing. <laughs> so in 2013, um, my business partner Ivy and I uh, actually started doing the professional motivational speaking work full time. And I tour around K through 12 schools and sometimes colleges and universities as well. And I talk to students about the power of the story they tell themselves uh, about who they are and what they're capable of and how they can use that story to take actions that help them achieve their goals and their dreams. Okay. Yeah. As I was telling you before the show, uh, I think my mom actually saw what your TED talk and she got a hold of my brother, sister and I about uh, about changing the story you tell yourself. And if it wasn't you, I, I'm not 100% sure it was you, but it fit your message exactly what she said. And she listens to TED Talks all the time. So I'm just going out on a limb assuming and saying, yes, yeah, she saw your uh, <laughs> TED Talk. And 
Um, it makes sense, but my brother and I had to have a little bit of fun with it. He was talking. So if I, you know, remember that time where I saved the world from uh, the evil something or another. And after after he went on for a few back and forth with my mom, I'm like, okay, I have to jump in. I can't say that. I can't say that. It, oh, remember the time I saved the world? Or remember the time I did this? It had to be, you know, how there's like no mistakes, uh, as you were talking about in your freestyle. Well, I had to take what he said and make it work for me. And I was That's like, remember right. the time that uh, Jake was in the mental hospital and he thought the nurses that were trying to help him were, uh, I think it was aliens or something that he like saying he <laughs> saved the world from, were trying to help him and give him medication and and stop him from uh, having hallucinations. He thought they were aliens trying to take over the world, and uh, and something or another was his pet dragon. Yeah, yeah, that was that was a sad time. I think it's <laughs> happening again. <laughs> I love it. Well, you know, you you kid, but actually, there is there's real power in metaphor. Um, and obviously, that's like an awesome. Yeah, I'm sorry, <laughs> not to mock what you are saying, but well, well no, it's true. I mean. It's, and I love, I love that you sort of take it to the extreme because sometimes that's actually the most effective thing because so often I think people get wrapped up in our problems as like our own moral failings, right? Like, oh my gosh, I waste so much time on Facebook. Like, I'm just a terrible person. I can't, I'm lazy. I can't get anything done. It's like, what if Facebook is like an evil dragon? It's just trying to lure you into your into its lair so it can like roast your life. You know, like, you know, that you can't actually- speak bad about Facebook. It will hunt you down. Well, yo, I mean, I I am a, a frequent visitor to the Dragon Cave of Facebook, so <laughs> I I must admit I'm a constant pilgrim. But you know, for <laughs> me, actually, you know, Facebook has I I used to spend so much time on Facebook, um, and I still spend some some. But once I actually externalize the problem, and not that I was incapable of getting all the work done or living up to my potential or whatever. And just being like, look, Facebook is an organization that makes money. The more time people spend on it. So if I'm consciously choosing to go on Facebook, you know, to connect with people, to catch up, whatever, that's one thing. But if I'm just like default clicking and refreshing the newsfeed because I'm in some loop, like I'm just making Facebook money. And so externalizing that actually really helped me spend less time on Facebook because okay. then I didn't beat myself up about it, you know? So yeah, yeah. And, you know, Facebook is kind of a double-edged sword, especially when uh, you're in promoting your podcast or promoting your uh, – well, we'll get into your podcast in just a minute, the Motivational Millennial Podcast. But when you're promoting it, you know, you have to be on Facebook and you want people to be on Facebook to look and check and see it. But when you're when you're the one, as I said, like as you mentioned, just going down, like clicking on all the ads and like seeing stuff, that's how Facebook makes money. And then it's a drain on your time. But yes, I agree. Facebook can be good and uh, bad at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and if I had to choose between fewer people listening to my podcast and more people living more empowered lives because they were able to escape from whatever habits were holding them back, I would choose the latter any day. You know, like, I yeah. think our world is so much better place when people are really living the life they want to live. And that's actually, you know, you mentioned Motivational Millennial. Um, that's why Ivy and I founded the company Motivational Millennial and the podcast because we believe that People are strong and resourceful and powerful, and so often the thing that holds ourselves back is us, like truly. Um, but that doesn't mean that we can't change or that 
our lives are just going to be this endless loop that we live the same year over and over and over again. So I hear you, man. I mean, that was why we created the company. Yeah. And I think our goals in our podcast are pretty similar. Mine is uh, to kind of encourage people to get out there and create and also give them a way to like hear other people's stories on how they got out there and started doing things like to maybe take that first step to get off the couch or take that find out how maybe they're already off the couch and doing something maybe find out what that next step is you know and what want to talk a little bit more about what your podcast entails? Absolutely. So on the Motivational Millennial Podcast, we interview inspiring members of the millennial generation, which is people born 1980 to 2000, who are living life with a sense of purpose and fulfilling their dreams. And as you said, it's very similar to what you're doing with Uncontained. And I love your focus on it because I think especially the entertainment industry is so attractive to millennials especially younger millennials uh, because there is this fame criteria that we seem to measure so many things against especially on social media how many likes did it get how many follows all that stuff so on motivational millennial podcast we are interviewing people who have decided that they have something they really love and care about and they want to make sure they do that in life. So it doesn't have to be their job. Um, It doesn't have to make money necessarily, but it's something they're passionate about. And usually it's helping other people in some way. And so we've interviewed, you know, uh, MacArthur Genius Award winners, uh, Pulitzer finalists, U.S. Senate candidates. Um, But every, the cool thing is they're all millennials. So it's like all these young people who are doing freaking amazing things and just hearing their challenges they've gone through always helps me personally put whatever I'm coming up against in perspective and also hearing their mindsets helps me remember on a weekly basis who I want to be for the world and how I can better be that. So that's what I hope our listeners really get out of it Um, and based on the feedback we've been receiving that is people like that weekly reminder of I am great. I do have power over my life and I can change it or change the world around me. Okay, yeah, and there seems to be a lot of bad talk about millennials how they're lazy, they they all get have to get a safe place with participation ribbons and everything like that. Um do I know that um you talk about the unusual millennial yeah, the and uncommon millennial. Uncommon, yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, yep. <laughs> no, it's, but they are unusual, uncommon. Well, they're perceived as uncommon and unusual because of the stereotype, exactly what you were just saying. Um, here's what I would say about that. Particip- like Millennials didn't ask for participation trophies. Participation trophies came out of the self-esteem parenting model that said everyone has to win no matter what. But the reality is I think most people – know that participation trophies are bad for two reasons. One, I mean, most people are receiving them, you know. One, because it makes people who actually won or performed well uh, feel like their success is less valuable. And secondly, people who get the participation trophies are embarrassed because they know they didn't deserve them. Yeah. And so I think what we look at 
are what are the mindsets, the limiting mindsets that evolved from this self-esteem parenting model? And the irony is that actually it's reduced self-esteem. So that's part of this social media craving for likes, for followers, because if I don't have any inherent self-worth, I need external validation constantly. And that's one of the things we really um, at Motivational Millennial with our coaching and some of the speaking work we do, we really try to push against uh, that idea and help people develop those internal resources to say, I am strong, I am whole, I am enough as a person. Because as you know, media, mass media is constantly telling you you're not attractive enough, you're not smart enough, you're not wealthy enough, um, you don't have all the connections you need, you don't have all the skills you need. And there are there is some of that that can be true, right? Like we need to develop ourselves and learn more and advance. But the vast majority of that messaging is about making you feel insecure so you will buy a product. Yes. And so we really are trying to push against that. <laughs> All right. Great, great. Yeah, it's good to have a voice like that out there. Um, and it sounds like you have some really big names on your podcast. You were talking about like uh, – politicians like senators uh, geniuses yeah so so um <laughs> sarah stillman she is a writer for the new yorker magazine and she has an incredible story i actually mentioned her in my tedx briefly um but she recently won the macarthur genius uh, fellowship which is amazing i mean she's a millennial you know she's young but She's done incredible writing. For example, she flew into Iraq um, in the latter end of the Iraq war to do reporting on all these workers on U.S. military bases who were essentially human trafficked into a war zone. And Sarah couldn't get anyone to fund her trip. So she literally went online, bought body armor, and paid to fly herself into a war zone. And Wow. Yeah, it's an incredible story. And so when she came back, she pitched her article to all these different um, newspapers and and uh, magazines, and no one would take it. They're like, no one wants to hear about this. Like, it's this is old news. And finally, um, the New Yorker accepted it, and she went on to win the National Magazine Award for journalism for that year. And it's like her story of persistence is so inspiring and that's one of the reasons we featured her on the podcast and also one of the reasons we wanted to highlight her in the TEDx talk because it's like that is the kind of amazing work that millennials are doing and no one's probably – I mean not no one but you know most people probably don't know who Sarah Stillman is. They think she's Sarah Silverman, the comedy you know, comedian, <laughs> uh, which she gets embarrassed sometimes. She said she'll uh, call somebody and they'll be like, wait, Sarah Silverman, the comedian? She's like, no, no, I'm Sarah Stillman, the, uh, the journalist. <laughs> But, but, you know, she's making a huge impact. Yeah, that's impressive. I don't know anybody who necessarily would go buy armor, fly into a war zone just to pursue a story. Uh, that, that right there really impresses me. Uh, did she come back with a completely different take on the, on the war than other reporters that may have been with, uh, with a network or a paper may have come back with? Yeah, so what she did was she basically exposed this giant human trafficking network where all of these contractors were bringing in poor people from all over the world who 
were told, hey, you're going to get to work you know, on a U.S. military base. You're going to have a great living conditions and make a lot of money to send back home to your family who really needs it because you're all living in poverty. And so these people – you know, with their families, their communities would would put up thousands of dollars to get this quote unquote job. And then when they would get to the U.S. military bases, these contractors would basically like have them be living in storage containers, confiscate their passports, take most of their wages, and you know sometimes be physically abusing them. Um, and so she basically blew that scandal wide open oh, and wow. caused significant policy changes on military contracting. And you said she's on your podcast, correct? Yes. What episode is that? So people can uh, check that out. Yeah. So if um, people just go to uh, the easiest thing is motivationalmillennial.com um, and just the podcast or millennial, com slash podcast and just click the podcast link. Um, I think she's uh, maybe episode number three. So you can just scroll down and it's listed there. So check that out. Um, now, what advice do you have for people who are looking to get started in either the music industry or motivational speaking? Create. Don't worry if it's good, which is really hard right now because anyone can comment on your work. You know, it used to be you were really bad for 10 years and then you put out an album or a demo and got picked up by a major label. Now and you you're can an put overnight your... success. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> oh, look, oh, this new artist. You know, they've been grinding for ten years. Um, Macklemore, even, is a good example of that in the rap world. You know, he'd been grinding for ten years selling mixtapes out of his trunk. Um, but it's so easy now to get discouraged or to feel like you have to start amazing because you look at your first video you put on YouTube or your first song you record in GarageBand or Logic or Pro Tools. And then you compare that to what people who have been doing it for 10 years are sounding like. Or, you know, some kid who's 20 years old who's been doing it for eight years. Um, and you're like, oh, my gosh, he's 20 and he has half a million YouTube subscribers and I'm 35. Like, you know, and I – people are just commenting mean things on my video all day. <laughs> yeah. So it can be really easy to self-sabotage early on and not allow yourself the time to make bad art before you make good art. And the same thing is true with the motivational speaking work. What I say is write a speech, perform it, video just for like a couple friends or family members who love you and won't be mean to you. Um, <laughs> film it while you perform it and go back and watch that tape. And I guarantee it will be the hardest thing you've had to do this year. Because watching ourselves speak or perform is brutal because we see all of our flaws, but that is the best way to get better fast. And I've had to do that with motivational speaking. I'll just give one specific example there. I used to think that going in with a bullet point outline was the best way to do motivational speaking because it'll be natural because – you uh, you know you know the subject matter, and that's true if you've given the same speech a hundred times. But if you start out with that and you don't have your points crystal clear, you don't have your transitions essentially memorized, it's not going to have the impact you want it to have. And I had to learn that the hard way. I watched this speech that I gave uh, a few years ago, and it was a high school auditorium. 
it was a good speech. I mean, the kids came up afterwards. They liked it, but I watched it back and I was like, oh, this could have been so much better. <laughs> and so that was, you know, it was an ego, a little ego bruising, but it helped me improve so much as a motivational speaker. So I'd say anyone who is working on any kind of artistic endeavor, allow yourself to be bad and then watch the tape. And when you're feeling discouraged, read The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. Best book out there for anyone who's hit a roadblock. Okay. All right. I'll have to put that book recommendation in the uh, show notes as well. And the reason I laughed and when you said you went back and watched uh, one of your uh, previous speeches, uh, previous um, motivational talks, and we're like, oh my God, that's the worst ever. Because I've had that happen to me multiple times. You know, go back, yes. look at some like old old stand-up videos or like listen to some of my beginning radio uh sound checks i'm like oh my god wow they let me on air sounding like that man thank you uh shark for putting that letting me be on uh on the radio station and uh work through that awkward stage and well, yeah, and you had to do that, though, right? Like, there was no way you could start at where you are today without going through what you went through at the radio station and doing those early stand-up gigs. And the funny thing is, back at that time, it's like, I thought I was all right. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> and you needed to. I mean, that's the other thing, right? If you had started and been like, I am so terrible, you, it, there's a high likelihood you might have quit, you know? Probably, yeah. Yeah, so I'm glad I'm glad you thought you were okay enough to continue. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's like I I even listen to my stuff today and I notice things as I I need to work on like repeating some words or like being like okay, okay, cool, cool type things and <laughs> I I need to get that out. I need to, you know, work on making things a little bit smoother but that will come and as i always forget who said this i think it might have been uh jeff bezo or um some other big entrepreneur like if you're not embarrassed by the first product you put out you waited too long yes so i i apologize if i didn't give that to the correct person saying it but that one has like kind of helped me. Like I just put my website out and I was working on trying to make it like, you know, nice and pretty for way too long. And I was like, okay, I just need to put this out and I can fix it as we go. And you know, now I have a website and it's constantly under construction. But <laughs> <laughs> which is great though. I mean, and I you know, I've been to your website. I really like it. I thought it was it answers the questions that I as someone who's coming to it for the first time have about who you are and your podcast and what it's about and what you're doing and I can listen to all the episodes on there and I think it's great, man. So so kudos for putting it out. Um and I definitely relate. I've been working on I have a forthcoming hip hop uh, or a, I have a forthcoming motivational hip hop album called Remix Your Reality that I've been working on for two years really concertedly, but kind of six years because it's been six years since my last album came oh, okay. out. And so I just had to in the last three weeks even really just spend eight hours a day in the studio and be like, I just have to get this thing done. I've been overthinking it. And is this line perfect? Is this the exact metaphor? Is this rhyme delivered in exactly the way? And it's like, look, for 99.9% .9 of people, it's going to be great. It's going to 
be helpful and you know what the 0.1 percent who don't like it weren't gonna like it in the the first place so it doesn't matter if you know that particular metaphor wasn't the most clever way i ever could have said that you know yeah yeah and also another thing is like you know where you mess up the other people don't know that it was supposed to be a different way or you had it a different way in your mind. So that's the way it's supposed to be to them and it sets with them all right. You may hear that mistake over and over again. Like I have a lot of friends in bands where they hit one wrong note in the song while they're recording and they, they dwell on it. But the people listening to that CD won't even notice. Right. <laughs> so on this uh, new CD of yours, uh, Remix Your Reality, is it uh, all all hip hop tracks, or do you mix in like your some like motivational speaking clips as well? That's a clever idea. I had actually thought to do that. Um, at this stage, I probably won't just because I have to get this thing out the door. But next I like CD. that. That's that's great. Exactly <laughs> for the next CD. So it's all motivational hip hop tracks. I have an amazing singer named Joe Focus who has done all the choruses on all my previous albums. And he comes in and just kills the choruses, um, kind of Drake style. And, but, you know, they're all like motivational. So it's rather than, you know, bemoaning uh, his love life or his <laughs> wealth, um, it's just like stuff to help you. Uh, but it's not all positive. I mean, that's the other thing too about the album is it's, it like half of it kind of sounds dark in a sense because I think so much of acknowledging the reality of life is acknowledging how messed up it can be sometimes and how challenging and frustrating and the failures and everything. And so I like to think there is some element of hope in every song, but it's not like a continuous major key ballad fest. You know what I mean? Like, okay. All right. It's actually really, um, it is really melodic, but it's definitely got an edge to it. All right, perfect. And that brings me to my next question, just about uh, just about seamlessly. Uh, what do you want people to take away when they see you do public speaking, see you do motivational speaking, or listen to your CD? Is there like a certain message or a certain feeling you want them to take? Yes, I want them to walk out of that room or put their headphones down and say. In this moment, I'm going to change my life. Like, and I know that's like a high goal, but really, <laughs> if I'm doing my job right, I have reminded you that you are a powerful, whole human being, and that whatever your flaws, whatever your background, whatever challenges you are facing or have faced, you right now have the power to change your life. And I know that feels kind of Tony Robbinsy, but like, I have seen it happen, and that is the best feeling like seeing a kid who at the beginning of the assembly i like to go around and talk to the kids before i start just okay. to you know meet them see what they're into this kid this is actually the last gig i did um in december 2016 this, this kid i was at this high school and man he was like you could just feel the resistance emanating from him. He had his hoodie, you know, like covered <laughs> his face, slumped down in his chair. I went over, talked to him. He was giving me like monosyllabic responses. And I was like, have you had any programs like this before? And he's like, yeah. I was like, oh, okay. Like, what'd you think of him? He's like, boring. I was like, okay. You know, but I just, I stayed with him. I just stayed and kept engaging him and just kept talking to him, even though he was just giving me nothing. And I did my talk and 
the high school talk, it's, you know, it's very related to the students. It's all about like relationships and texting and, um, and hip hop and all the kind of things that they're like, oh, this is actually really interesting and not boring at all. And at the end of it, we did a question answer session. And the last question, he raised his hand and I was like, that's it. Like, that is exactly what I want to happen. Wow. One of these talks. And, you know, he was asking me, he's like, he wanted to know what happened next in my like music industry story. And I was like, he's bought in. Like he sees how this relates to his life. And that makes all the difference in the world. Yeah. It's like moving a giant rock when that happens, you know, it's like huge sense of accomplishment when you get somebody who doesn't necessarily want anything to do with what you're doing at the beginning to actually warm up and be like, Hey, I want to participate in this. Yeah, and I get it. It's protection, man. So many of these kids have had hard lives. People have let them down. They've been disappointed. They don't trust people. And so I get it. Like, I'm not walking into there and saying, I want you to trust me immediately. I'm walking in there and saying, I hope you'll give me the opportunity to earn your trust over the next 45 minutes. Okay, great, great. That's definitely a good way to promote it because – or like – approach people because you know i've been i've been there and if somebody came up to me in high school be like have you been to something like this you're like uh yeah well then you're like no well you haven't been to something like this you're gonna you're gonna love this and something i'm like dude get your cheesy ass away from me you know um but the way that you approach it be like okay well let's get to know each other hopefully you give me the opportunity and uh, we'll see if something works for you if it doesn't you know it doesn't but if it is working for you that is awesome and uh i'd be happy to share more you know yeah and that's a great point because especially as a white guy in hip-hop i used to be so worried all the time like are people gonna think i'm like skilled enough are people gonna think i'm legit and so i kind of came into it with a little bit of a defensive posture okay Uh, like i gotta prove myself and you know about and what i realized was like that doesn't help me it doesn't help the audience at all and so now to your point i just go in and say hey I am here to hopefully serve and inspire you. And if that works for you, fantastic. If there's one thing in here that you take away from it, then that's great. If not, I hope at least you'll be entertained for 45 minutes and it'll be a great break from your school day. (laughs) (laughs) So at the very least, I'm giving you that. Um, And it's changed. It's interesting. Uh, Ivy, my business partner, was talking. She watched some of my recent speeches and she said, you are so comfortable now. And I was like, yes, because I don't feel like I have to prove anything anymore, you know? I think that is a huge level of, I don't know if I want to say a level of awareness, but yeah, I'll say a level of awareness to get to. Like when you feel, reach that level where you're like, I don't have anything to prove. I just want to go out here and talk to people. People can tell when you're struggling to gain their respect. Yeah, absolutely. And it takes practice. This is the thing. I don't want people to think like, oh, I, I'm not there yet. Like, yo, you got to get get in front of people by any means necessary whether it's for your music your art like or speaking because that's the only way to get better and don't worry like people if it's terrible people will forget about it and then when you're really good five ten years later and they see you again like wait did i see this guy before (laughs) so so often we worry about people's permanent judgment of us and the cases where that's the truth are really rare yeah and i had a comedian on the show uh a while back that said something that goes along with this like he's like the ideal point of like 
to get to while you're a comic is to be the same person on stage as you are off stage when you're making jokes in front of your friends. You know, take that same, like, you're the same person there. It's so easy to say. It's so easy to say, yeah, I'm going to be the same person, like, in front of my friends on stage. But when you have that mic in your hand and in front of that audience and they're sitting there waiting, expecting you to make them laugh, it's it's definitely a different environment than your friends who hopefully think you're funny already. (laughs) Right. And (laughs) great comedians make it so relatable. If for exactly that reason, you feel like they're just talking, they're just hanging out with Louis CK. He's just, you know, like bantering about something he thought about the other day and that's their gift. And that's what they have to practice. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, Okay, you're out there talking to people, uh, talking, doing your motivational speaking. You have a CD coming out. Uh, you have your podcast. What are you doing to uh, promote yourself, Blake? My goal is to just keep putting out great things that people enjoy, that inspire them. And so the TEDx, um, which people, again, you can just Google Blake Brandis TEDx or um, – the untapped power millennials. That was a really wonderful platform. And I really am thankful to TEDx Hickory for giving me the opportunity to talk. They normally don't have motivational speakers give TEDx talks um, (laughs) or people who are doing motivational speaking. So I really spoke to their theme and their topic, which was their theme was uncommon. And I was like, yo, there are these uncommon millennials that are more common than you might think. And we need your help to make more of them. And so they were like, all right, we'll bite. Um, so yeah, the TEDx has been fantastic. And then the podcast every week, you know, just encouraging people to subscribe on iTunes to that, uh, or go to the website. And then for the album, uh, there was a Kickstarter, which thankfully, yo, shout out to my Kickstarter supporters, <laughs> <laughs> um, was funded very kindly. And so that will be coming out soon and will be available on blakebrandis.com, which is also my motivational speaking website. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, I just reach out to schools and so anyone, of your listeners who either has a kid or knows a teacher or principal and thinks this could be a good program for them. I definitely encourage them to drop me a line. Um, just Blake at motivational millennial two L's two N's final L.com. Awesome. I have one final question that I ask all my guests is kind of the title, the title question to the show. It's how do you live uncontained? So Blake or Dr. Blake Brandis, how do you live uncontained? I have to resist every day believing that I am less capable of achieving greatness than I am. And on the flip side, I have to also not believe that I'm some superhero who just hasn't put on his cape yet. Because for a long time, like we were talking about earlier, I used to believe that you have to tell yourself this empowering story that you can do anything. And, you know, listen to Gary Vaynerchuk yell at you for <laughs> for an hour. Well, you, you know, just you have to have no extra time, you know, work all the time. And that's how you win. There's a certain amount of that that's true. But I realized I was putting myself up on this pedestal that said, Blake, if only you worked all the time, then you would be worthy of love and admiration and respect, and then you would be successful. And what I had to do was say, I accept myself for who I am right now, what I'm doing right now, my my circumstances and my environment are right now, 
And from a place of total acceptance, I can work to change them. And so for me, living uncontained is about being uncontained by my expectations for myself that don't help me move forward and take action. For some people, those are exactly the things they need to hear. They need to hear, you can do it. You need to grind harder. You know, that like kind of coach mentality, like five more push-ups to push themselves. <laughs> Total respect to that. Everyone's going to have a different motivational path. But for me, the only way I win is when I stop caring about what other people think all the time, when I stop trying to do everything to make people happy, especially anticipating like – Oh, if I don't respond to this email in the next five minutes, they're going to think I'm unreliable or not the most professional person they've ever met. Like, is that helping me achieve my goals? If the answer is yes, great. I should be doing that. If it's not, if there's a higher goal I have, then I need to let that go. So letting go, accepting things the way they are, and realizing that even with all that, I always have the power to change something right now. That's how I live uncontained. Perfect. All right, Blake, thank you for sharing. Thanks for coming on the show. Um, real quick, do you want to recap where people can uh, get a hold of you, uh, find your new C upcoming CD, and if a school or somebody wants to get a hold of you to do motivational speaking, where can they go to to get Dr. Blake Brandis? Absolutely. So people can go to Blake Brandes, that's B-R-A-N-D-E-S dot com for the hip hop motivational speaking work. Um, also, they can go to motivationalmillennial.com to check out the podcast. We also do coaching for people who are trying to make a change in their life uh, to support them. And um, those are the best two ways to get in touch with me. I'm also on Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram. You can all hit me up on there. Uh I'm the only Blake Brandis who looks like a motivational speaker. I think there's some nice 19-year-old girl on Long Island who's also named Blake Brandis. But uh, for the most <laughs> part, you'll just be finding me out there. All right. Sounds good. Okay. Normally, before I sign up or get off the show, and I have my guest sign off the show by saying who they are and that they live uncontained. But since you have the freestyle talent – um, and I disagree with uh, Howard Stern. It is a talent because if I were to get on the mic and try to freestyle right now, well, it, it might not be that great. Uh, but um, <laughs> would you do me the honor of signing off the show with a freestyle? Absolutely. It would be my pleasure. Uh, let me cue up a beat here. All right. We'll make this happen. All right. You hear that beat all right? Yes, I do. It's all you now. All right, here we go. Yo, check it out. Uh, Blake B, Millennial Defender. Shout out to my haters and pretenders. Oh, yo, straight return to sender when you're listening to the podcast with Aaron Render. Hey, yo, straight Bay Area. Uh, I said it straight, yeah, area, yeah, I'm talking about E-40, yo, these schools can afford me, cause I'm coming in, reaching out to students, bro, yo, you know I got the student flow, you know I'm so scholarly, yo, and I got the dollars, G, uh, well, maybe not, I'm just talking about money, cause that's what rappers are supposed to talk about, but yo, we living uncontained, this freestyle straight off the brain, uh, 
Yeah, you know, sometimes you just gotta talk a little bit up, because that's what rappers do on the track. But yo, we kick it back. Ah, uh, straight uncontained. This freestyle's been off the brain. What? <laughs> Thank you for listening, and thanks again to Dr. Blake Brandis for coming on the show and leaving us with that awesome uncontained freestyle. Make sure you check him out on all of his projects. His new CD coming up, which is Remix your reality and of course his weekly podcast which you can find on itunes uh it is motivational millennial podcast i'm gonna go to itunes and subscribe to it and you should too uh leave it a nice review leave it a comment and you know help get uh attention brought to it and you can do the same for my show as well itunes stitcher uh, wherever you listen to this podcast or or Blake's podcast, Motivational Millennial, please make sure you leave a nice comment, uh, good rating, help other people find the podcast as well. And you can uh, visit him at all his links that are in the show notes. As I mentioned before, I have a new website up. It's uncontainedpod.com. Please check it out, and uh, if you feel like supporting the show, when you do your next round of Amazon shopping, click the Amazon banner at the top of the page, copy that link, put it in your favorites, send it to your friends, and uh, just go to Amazon that way. It does help support the show, helps get stuff I need, like new recording equipment to make the show sound better. I appreciate all the support I've received so far. Thank you, and until next time... Live uncontained.